This is a Soulfire production. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Get Psyched. I'm your host, Lindsay, and as always, I am so pumped to be introducing you to today's guest and bringing you today's conversation. I'm sitting down with Dr. Leslie Brocchini, who left Stanford to pursue her dream in integrative and functional medicine and found soul strength medicine. So what that means is Dr. Brocchini treats the individual. She's no longer treating symptoms, but instead getting down to the root causes of what is making society sick. We talk about so many different things, about Dr. Brocchini's cancer diagnosis, which brought her into functional medicine, learning how to not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. She spent a year a year, you guys, in her kitchen cooking healthy recipes to heal herself from the inside out. So to say that I totally geeked out sitting down with Dr. Brocchini on today's episode would be the understatement of the century. Also, speaking of things that I absolutely geek out on, Worth the Fight podcast is an absolute must listen. Worth the Fight is part of the Soulfire Productions crew, and holy smokes, you guys, the guests on this show will blow your mind. We have the founder of MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies on the show. We have people addressing trauma and how they've come through that, not only stronger, but better and ready to face life worth every fight. So be sure to check that out in whatever streaming platform you listen to podcasts. And if you're on Apple, like the rest of the world is, head on over to the iTunes app, give this show a five-star rating and review, because not only do they absolutely warm my heart, but they continue to allow me to get guests like Dr. Brocchini on the show day in and day out and deliver epic content to you guys every week. So head on over, give the show a five-star rating and review. The Get Psyched giveaway is still live. So if you screenshot that review, DM it to me on Instagram. You are already entered to win the most epic prizes ever. Okay, I might be lying a little bit, but they're pretty, pretty epic, you guys. You want in on this. So screenshot them, DM them. I'm looking forward to reading them. But more importantly, I'm excited for you to listen to this show. Enjoy. I know people listening are not familiar with your story or quite who you are yet. Um, so maybe we can just start with a quick introduction of who you are, what you do, and then we can dive into how you got there. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, my name is Leslie Brocchini. I'm a medical doctor and I... Uh, Went to Stanford Medical School, so I'm Stanford trained in internal medicine. I also have subsequ subsequently done um, integrative medicine and am board certified in that as well. Uh, I also have done uh, functional medicine training through the Institute of Functional Medicine and then various courses of herbal medicine and cosmetics and, you know, all the things that I needed to gather the tools that I, I felt like I needed to provide the care that I want to care. I am the CEO of Soul Strength Medicine, so I started that. In 2014, uh, after trying many different um, medical models and feeling like there wasn't anything that was really offering true healing for my patients. So um, I wanted to create the type of medicine that I believed in, and I felt like I really couldn't do medicine unless I was able to do that. So I just opened 
my doors and put out a shingle. And now in 2021, you know, it's been about seven years and it's evolved into what I believe medicine should be. Um, in my humble opinion, it is a kind of a, a complete whole medicine wellness model that I think takes into account adverse childhood events, um, environmental factors, stress, um, trauma, nutrition, lifestyle, uh, mind body, uh, biochemistry, genetics. So I look at all of that stuff and I use all of the training, the traditional allopathic training that I had, the integrative medicine training that I had and the functional medicine um, and and really look at the patient as an individual. Um, some people call it personalized lifestyle medicine as well. I think that fits. Um, I think it's not really kind of a model that is known to a lot of people, but I think that's pretty much what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so I have a small practice that I just do that and people get better. I did 13 years of traditional internal medicine. People did not get better. Some people did, but a lot of people didn't. And I couldn't really figure out why. And for a long time thought that it was because I wasn't doing the right thing. Mm. But I think I was in a system that was not allowing me to do the right thing. And I just think I hadn't had certain experiences in life that make me a better healer now, almost 50 in a couple months. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, I had a very, not with, from like medicine standpoint. I mean, I guess it was medicine, but I um, had a really, really gnarly injury like f almost five years ago now. And they, at the time I was at a, uh, I won't throw anyone under the bus. I was a patient in a large system mm -hmm. and um, they told me, you know, we don't want to operate. We're going to try all of these other interventions first, see if you get better. And then we'll kind of leave surgery or the most expensive option uh, for the last. And I was like, that's fine with me. You know, I'm 23. I really don't want to have surgery if I don't have to. But that said, like, I've been an athlete my entire life. I work in the functional fitness community. I've worked with some of the best like mobility people right. you can work with. And so I will be the epitome of a squeaky wheel. Like if something is not right, I'm going to continue to tell you and tell you and tell you. And after about six months, you know, every doctor, every orthopedic person I went to was like, oh, you know, like things are coming along. The swelling's not so bad. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't use my left arm. Like I I'm stuck at about 90 degrees and I can move about 15 degrees in either direction. I'm like, well, keep working on it. And that was when I started kind of going down my own path of I was like, you know, I hate needles, but I was like, let's check out acupuncture. Mm -hmm. Let's check out all <laughs> of these different things because I'm not getting better riding the arm bike and like pushing against a towel, you know? And so, and every doctor's appointment I went to, it was someone that was like, well, I know someone that'll never do CrossFit again, or like, thank God for CrossFit athletes. They keep me in business. And I'm like, there are, I was just sitting in your waiting room and there's six people waiting knee replacements that if they lost 50 pounds, wouldn't need a new knee, you know? So you, are you trying to tell me that I'm worse off for moving my body through functional ranges of motion right here <laughs> and happen to have an injury because that's how sports work you know right. like it's just that's what we do that's what we, we move do. from one to the next yeah. yeah uh and you're trying to tell me that I'm worse off because of it and after that appointment they're like maybe we should switch our appointments to to the zoom portal oh. <laughs> and so in my head I'm like how are you testing the integrity of my joint seeing if I need surgery, any of these things 
through a computer screen. So I got very, very frustrated. Fast forward four years later, I finally sought out a doctor that I was like, look, this is what you do. Like you work primarily with elbows. All the research I've done says that they're a really tricky joint. And there's a lot to it. And lo and behold, in surgery, they found that I like needed complete reconstruction of my Tommy John. I needed my ulnar nerve mm. like completely moved, like all of these different things. And I woke up and he tells me all the things that they did. And the only thing in my like, just woke up from surgery, drugged out self, I looked at him, I was like, I told you so. <laughs> and then passed out. You're like, how many years did I waste? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know that we were talking before the show that you had a similar experience, not with, you know, a joint or anything like that, but can you kind of share what made you start questioning maybe the system that you were working in? Yeah. I mean, I think there, you know, in my experience with functional and integrative medicine, if you talk to a lot of the doctors that are in that, there's something that happened that made them realize that the system they were in, you know, was probably not the most holistic system and Mm -hmm. was not as healing as they wanted it to be. So I think sometimes in life, right, if you are the table, if the tables are flipped on you, then all of a sudden you are receiving what you are giving. Um, It becomes really glaring and you can't really ignore it once that happens. So, you know, I was a um, second year resident and I was not feeling great, but you know, you're working a hundred hours a week. Um, and so everyone kind of expects you to be tired, but something felt a little different to me. And I went to my doctor who said, well, yeah, you're a resident. Um, that's probably why you're tired. And I had found a mass in my neck and that was kind of poo-pooed. And, um, so I went along for probably another two months, um, still working the hours. Uh, you know, by the time you're a second year resident, you're in charge of a whole bunch of other people, medical students, um, interns. And so you kind of are in charge. Um, And so the responsibility is really much greater. And so by then you also know a lot more. And so, you know, a lot of the feedback I was getting was, oh, you just think you have something because you're tired and now you know more. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you know, it's really common for young physicians to think that they have the diseases that they're learning about. So I got that a lot. And so I kind of, I was like, okay, well, I guess I better just pull up my bootstraps, which that's kind of the culture, right? Right. Pull up the bootstraps, get it done. It doesn't matter if you haven't eaten or peed in 36 hours, you need to like get this done. So I did that. And then I was like, something is really not right. Um, So I I insisted on an ultrasound. Again, I got kind of the, I don't know why we're doing this. You don't really need this. And then lo and behold, there was a mass. And then I um, insisted on the biopsy and you know, I'll probably never forget um, kind of the person coming at you with a needle that says, I don't even know why we're doing this biopsy. I'm Mm. sure you're fine. You're just tired. And I was like, okay, well, thanks for making me feel like an idiot. Thanks for making me feel like I don't need this care because I'm a doctor. I should be on the other side and doctors don't need to be cared for. Thank you for all of that. Right. And so as I left there, I went, you know, back to work and um, literally the next day I was on call, which means that any of the patients that come through the ER, you are responsible for. So I was the senior resident on my team. So I was the one that was having to manage all that. And so the visual of, you know, being up all night, having multiple pagers on my waistband and a bunch of uh, a big circle of students and interns that are looking at you to do all the right thing. My pager goes off. We all think it's another admission. They're all following me to the phone. I call back 
um, kind of the operator. And it was this physician that said, I can't believe I'm calling to tell you this, but you have cancer. And I was like, what? So it just went, I couldn't, I don't even remember what I said. Like, I just remember that everything kind of dimmed, you know, like the, and I was like, looking at all of these eyes, literally there was probably four people standing in front of me. And so I just hung up the phone, immediately called my chief resident. And I was like, I'm done for today. This is what's happening. And so, you know, I, I dealt with that. You know, the, the mentality of being in that culture is, okay, well, you can't be sick, actually, because you're the doctor. So get it together. So wow. literally, I was seven. So I was in surgery the next day. Um, it turned out to be a very big tumor um, that they actually had to take out my parathyroids as well. And so, um, the, I mean, the, the gift is that I was in the right place and I was in surgery the next day. Like that doesn't happen to a lot of people. Right. Usually you have to sit with it and worry. I've held the hands of many. I have a patient right now who has a thyroid mass and because of COVID is now on her third month of waiting to get oh the actual goodness. surgery. But I can help her through that because I've been through it. So there's, you know, all of those things kind of are helpful. But a week later, I was seeing patients. I had never had anxiety. I had never had panic issues. Uh, I really was a pretty level person. Uh, They took my thyroid out. A week later, I was seeing patients. I was wearing turtlenecks because I still had staples in my neck. Oh, my gosh. And I was talking to a patient about her diabetes. Again, I remember this like it was yesterday because it was so traumatizing, I think. And I was talking to her and all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I have to get out of this building right now. Full on panic attack, flew out of the building, left the patient in the room, um, ran. I almost don't even remember, but I ran to my doctor's office, pushed my way through the waiting room into her office. She, you know, we were colleagues. So, and I was like, and she was like, oh my God, you're having a panic attack. I was like, no shit. Yeah. What the hell? Like I'm seeing, you know, I'm like staples in my neck. I'm still trying to see patients. Like I had literally five days off between cancer diagnosis, surgery. Here you are back, you know, Tuesday, you're back seeing patients. And, and I don't think it necessarily was my, you know, program. I loved my program. I loved my residency director. All of that was amazing. I think it was me. Mm think at that point you're like okay well I can't be sick like I've spent all these hours taking care of people like you just get in that mode that you don't really think about taking care of yourself so you definitely are not practicing what you're preaching which I think has to be part of the medical model so I um, after that then you know they said okay well you have to go talk to somebody because now you really can't like work because now you have an anxiety disorder And so I had to go see someone for like six months, put me on medication. And I was like, this is not, I I don't think I have an anxiety disorder. I've never had this before. I think someone took my thyroid out and a week later I was seeing patients with staples in my neck, but I had to do what I had to do. And, um, you know, then I went back and, and I, I generally am a person that kind of comes up with, okay, that didn't work so well how can I make that better? Mm -hmm. That's just kind of how I roll. So I was like, okay, that didn't really go so well. And I think that doctors actually need to take better care of themselves. And I'm surrounded by people that are working a hundred hours a week, eating fast food or eating donuts that the drug rep brings, you know, that's just 
Right. No one has time to do any of that. And I'm thinking, how much trauma do we go through to be doctors? And how much uh, lack of, why is no one telling us how to take care of ourselves in this role that is a huge role that requires so many hours and so much emotional trauma, right? You I mean, you're call it, you're doing codes, you're, you're calling codes, right? You're saying, call it, you know, that's just, it, no one really prepares you for that. And I, I was shocked that there really wasn't more problems. And I think there were, but you don't talk about it. You just keep going. So mm-hmm. I um, talked to my residency director and I said, I want to create a program and I want it to be called doc care because we are not, no one's taking care of us. And I know you don't, you don't really say that out in public because people are like, oh, really? You're a doctor. We don't really right. feel so, sorry for you. Like pull it together. But like really the responsibility and the hours. And so I tried to create it. I had a um, therapist come. I had a psychiatrist come. No one would show up. Wow. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't the right time. I think they have that stuff now. I mean, that was in 1999, mm-hmm. 1998. No, yeah, between 95 and 99. So I think it wasn't the right time. People wouldn't do it. So, you know, eventually I think it just faded. I think they have a program now. But um, so I, I, I was going to be a cardiologist mm-hmm. before that. That was my plan. I was Stanford is an amazing cardiology program where they have lots of amazing programs. I, I love that hospital. But I was going to do cardiology. And I realized with all of that, that I wanted to focus on more the whole person. Um, so I did internal medicine because then I could think about all the systems I didn't know at the time that really it was only kind of a small version of all the systems. And it really, there was, I was going to have to do more. So um, I ended up doing that. So it changed kind of the course. Um, I, from this, from that day forward, I I never tell anyone over the phone without asking if they're in a quiet place or they're sitting down or are they able to take any information right now that, I mean, I definitely learned that lesson loud and clear from that physician. (laughs) That is not how you tell someone they have cancer. Thank you very much. (laughs) Try again. I would also imagine like backing up a little bit to launching um, the doc, doc Doc care. care, the doc care program that when you are expected to work 100, 120 hours a week and there's donuts in the break room or you've been holding your pee for 36 hours, you are in this like microcosm of like, and if you're anything else, you're wrong. And I find that I that happens a lot with some of my clients now is like, there's so much shame and getting help because you're the healer or working through your own stuff because there's not time for that. Right. And so I can imagine that that would play like a huge part in people not showing up to that program at the time. Right. I mean, I think uh, I, they might show up now. I think after mm-hmm. you practice medicine for 10 years, you there's so much buildup mm-hmm. um, that that you have, then you do have to deal with it because it starts affecting your marriage and, you know, your health and all these other various other things. I forgot to say actually that before I realized that I had a mass in my neck, um, there was a lot of, well, you're female, you must have something autoimmune. It just hasn't Mm. shown up yet. So I saw a rheumatologist. So I was moving around. I was, you know, being a patient and seeing how that didn't really work all that well. It wasn't really addressing, but you know, so 
I think that sometimes in traditional medicine, people are afraid to actually address what maybe the root causes. So mm-hmm. that's what I love about functional medicine and integrative medicine. Like, I, you know, I look at for the root cause of what might be happening. Um, I didn't, wasn't sure I was going to use my biochemistry degree, but I use it every day now because of just trying to figure out what, where is the, the problem? Where is the break? Mm-hmm. Is it from past? Is it something functional right now? I mean, is it easy, as easy as you don't have enough magnesium or is it as complicated as you were beaten for 10 years as a child? Right. Like, where is it on this massive spectrum? And we have to figure that out first before we can even think about you getting better. Yeah. I need to know where the root cause is. And so what was the the departure, I know you got into integrative medicine at Stanford. What was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back and said, I'm going to do my own thing? So I did internal medicine at Stanford, um, left there and did proceeded to do 13 years of traditional primary care. Um, I worked at the Stanford Medical Group for a little bit. I had my own private practice in San Andreas, and I was also doing ICU work, which I loved ICU work, by the way. It's not so great once you have children right because it's a little unpredictable but the but being able to be with people at a critical time and be with family at a critical time uh, I love that part of it so I did that Um, after a while I was realizing I was still living by insurance companies and Mm. reimbursement and I had to see a certain number of patients a day in order to pay my nurse pay you know so it wasn't, it wasn't ideal. Um, I then still had connections through Stanford at the Palo Alto VA. And so I had a mentor who was gracious enough to let me work at the Palo Alto VA, which has a satellite clinic here in Sonora, as uh, part-time. Uh, at that point, I had two kids. And so I did that for about six years. Um, it, unfortunately, it was during kind of the Iraq stuff and the mm-hmm. Gulf War, so the trauma coming in was tremendous and I was not trauma trained, trauma informed. I felt like being a satellite of the VA is kind of an oxymoron for people to come with that much trauma and to be at a small rural satellite clinic. I was pretty vocal about that Mm -hmm. uh, because people were, you know, not doing well. We had, you know, at that point, I think we had one social worker and all the psych was telemedicine. So that meant all of it was falling on the primary care physicians um, with the, you know, having difficulty managing the pain meds. And it was just, it was hard. It was really hard work because they were so traumatized and because the services were not at, they, the services at Palo Alto VA, but like who, who can take a bus from three Sonora. to four or five right. hours. So, you know, I had patients with chronic back pain and their only way to get to the Palo Alto VA was on an old school bus that they had to be there at five in the morning and they got home at nine o'clock at night for one doctor's appointment. So, you know, it was that there was just a lot going on in the system. I think the thing that broke the camels, the straw that broke the camels back for me was there was a day where I was seeing a young um, Iraqi veteran who wanted pain meds and he was getting really irate and really angry and came at me with his cane, tried to hit me with it. And I hit the panic button and it didn't work. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm sweating. I was like, okay, you know what? This system is, is broken. It's not working. Number one, 
I am an internal medicine doctor in here with a patient who needs us needs more. Right. And, and I'm not even protected. And the trauma is so big. Like it, it, like the look in his eyes, I still remember. And I was like, okay, this is, I can't work in this system. Mm-hmm. So then I, I think I, I did for a little bit longer, but I was pretty vocal about, are you kidding me? The panic button doesn't work. We are four hours, three hours from the Palo Alto VA where they have security. We have no security. Oh my God. We have to call 911 like everyone else. And how long does that take? We're in a rural place. So I, there was just, the other, I think the other thing that was starting to happen there was they um, kind of laid out their 10-year plan and it was going to be ultimately... I was going to be a manager. I was going to be managing nurses and the nurses were actually going to see the patients. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, I didn't actually go into medicine to be a manager. I went into medicine to actually help people and to feel like a healer. And this is not the system that's working for me. So I had to start thinking about what am I going to do now? I've had my own practice with the insurance. Um, I, I can't go back to the ICU. I just think I have two young kids now. So what am I going to do? And I was kind of crashing a little bit myself at that point. And I was getting, you know, I was feeling almost like I did when I had my mm. um, initial cancer diagnosis. And I was like, Oh, what is this? You know, I had two kids, um, had been through all that. And I, I started thinking, what is this? And so then I started trying to fix myself and started doing kind of just f- some functional medicine, integrative medicine, started researching and realized that my adrenals were shot. My neurotransmitters were a disaster. My nutrition was not good. My hormones were a mess after two kids so close together. So I started f- trying to fix myself and started mm-hmm. got, I started getting dramatically better. And I thought, that's weird. I didn't ever, I didn't learn about any of this. Right. Uh, you know, I, I did a lot of training and I didn't learn anything about this. So I, um, at that point still wasn't sure what I was going to do with it because I didn't, there was no system that I could see that I could use that information. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think if you talk about an adrenal disorder with an endocrinologist, their eyes just roll in the back of their head because they don't think it's real. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I really believed it was real either until it was happening to me until I fixed myself and I realized I'm getting better and I don't have any of these tools. So I thought, well, maybe I should just leave medicine and do something else because I don't think I can bring this into any of the systems that I've seen. And so I just started doing the training, um, still not sure what I was going to do, thinking maybe I would leave medicine. And then um, finally in 2012, I said, you know what, I'm done. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm done. Mm-hmm. And uh, literally I cooked in my kitchen for a year. And, you know, everyone was like, what are you doing? You can't have a break in your resume. Like, what are you doing? You're a medical doctor. You can't do that. And I'm like, I, I'm doing it because right. I don't know what to do. And I have to like pull everything back into my center and figure out what it is I want to do. And cooking is centering for me. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, so I did that and I stumbled upon um, Andy Wiles Integrative Medicine Fellowship in Air- through the University of Arizona. And I was like, I'm totally doing that. So I did that and it was an amazing program. Uh, and it was a lot, you know, there, I think there were about 50, 50 something uh, physicians in there and they all had similar stories. Mm. Um, and everyone felt like they were, they needed more and they needed more healing and they needed healing themselves. 
So the program does a really good job of healing you so that you can then be a, a true healer. Yep. So it introduced, you know, all the other stuff, you know, the yoga, the mind-body stuff, the nutrition stuff, the Ayurvedic stuff, the ch- traditional Chinese medicine stuff, and guided imagery, and all those things that uh, are were foreign words to me. Right. So I, you know, went through all of that, felt completely healed myself, and I was like, this is what I'm doing this is what I'm doing. So so it was so clear. And, you know, and I feel like there's, you know, right now in the world of um, kind of non-traditional medicine, there's kind of the integrative medicine group and there's the functional medicine group. And it's kind of this weird, like, I don't know, no one really knows what it is, but they know that it's, it's creates a more holistic Mm -hmm. um, way of doing medicine. But I felt like there were still some pieces missing and mostly I think because of the biochemistry and me wanting to know more about that. And I think that functional medicine actually addresses that a little mm. bit better. Can so you kind of explain I did that as the well. difference for listeners between integrative yes, and I can. Functional? Yes. So, you know, I think I went back and kind of read mission statements this morning because I kind of have morphed into my own kind of way. But I think there is there are formal definitions of functional medicine and functional medicine really looks at kind of the how and the why and the root cause. So um, it's all both functional medicine, integrative medicine, you know, use evidence based um, a lot of traditional practitioners will say, I don't know why you do that. I've heard this. This has been said to me many times over the last few years. I don't know why you're doing that. That's not real medicine. But it is evidence-based. Both both schools of thought really believe in the the data. Unfortunately, there's not a ton of studies done on vitamin C. It's cheap, right? There's no pharmaceutical company that's going to make money off that. But so functional medicine looks at the kind of the root cause. Um, I think integrative medicine does the same. It's a little bit more mind-body and a little bit more we're going to journey through this together. Mm. So it's, a, um, I, I feel like functional medicine is a little more kind of biochemistry, root cause, what's your gut doing? What's your brain doing? What are the micronutrients? What are the macronutrients? What are the hormones? And I think integrative is, okay, what do we need to integrate with traditional medicine to heal you? And mm. he, the healing is just a kind of a broader scope uh, and I think it takes into account more of the mind-body stuff. Mm. I love that. I um, had a really similar experience in my psych training. I showed up to school and I'm like, before getting into my career now, such a linear thinker. Like, no, oh, me too. My undergrad is in I fight that every day. <laughs> I was going to be a lawyer. It was like, you do this, you take your LSAT, you go to law school, you like law, bless the lawyers out there. I don't know how you do it. It's the most tedious, boring things. It's the same thing over and over again with different names. And which, when I was listening to you explain medicine, felt very similar, right? Like, this shows up, you diagnose this, da 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 da. And I get to my program and It was a holistic program because I knew after working in addiction, I was like, there's more than just like this cookie cutter, one size fits all approach to everything. So I sought out a holistic program, which actually Tim, our clinical director was like, Lindsay, like, I know you're kind of into this woo woo stuff. Like you won't really (laughs) talk about how often you do Kundalini yoga, but I know you do it. And I think that you should go to this program. 
So I show up and I'm like ready. I'm like ready to be, I don't know, for whatever reason, I was like, I'm going to be given like a lab coat and a like clipboard and I'm going to learn how to diagnose people's, you know, psychiatric disorders, which, you know, you do learn how to diagnose. But I sit down and there's pastels and really intricate like crafting papers. And I was like, wait, this is an (laughs) ethics in the law class. I was like, why are we drawing? And it was for that exact same reason. They were like, if you are ever, ever going to be a clinician, if you're ever going to sit in a therapist chair, you need to know what it's like to be on the receiving end of it. You need to be going through all of these experiential trainings that when you do an experiential trauma training, you need therapy yourself. (laughs) Like you need to integrate, you need to understand same kind of thing when you got that phone call how it is that you now deliver that information or when you're asking your client to drop inside and re-experience, you know, an adverse childhood experience or anything like that, you need to know what it was like to have gone through that so that you can even possibly sit with whatever the person's process is on the other side. I agree. You, you have, I mean, you know, I think that happens a little bit in nature, but I think there are a lot of people practicing medicine that have not been in that, in those you know, on the other side. And I think that, you know, I, when I have patients come in and they're like, Oh my God, I, for some reason, I think that you're actually going to really help me and such and such didn't do this, that, that, that. and I, I, you know, I'm generally very, um, I generally say, you know, we can only help as much as we understand. And Mm -hmm. if you've not been on the other side, um, it's, it's a little bit, harder to really connect and it's not really anyone's fault. I'm, I mean, I think that sometimes you have experiences for a reason so that then you can pass them on or help someone else. Um, but I think not everyone has that. I think there's, sh- that should be part of training. There's so much that should be part of training. I think it is happening now. I, I truly do because I think, you know, at the university of Arizona, they do integrative medicine in their medical school. Mm. I know Stanford now has an integrative medicine clinic. So it's, it's coming, uh, you know, but I think that there, there's a lot more of the psychological aspect that is just kind of not there or Mm -hmm. wasn't there. I think it is now. And I, I think we all have our own walks of life, right? I mean, I, I had a lot of adverse childhood events. I, you know, I had to kind of process all of that and that makes makes me better at handling patients that have that. And right. it also makes me see the importance of dealing with that. You know, our current Surgeon General of California, um, Nadine, Nadine oh. it, you know, she's bringing that to medicine, but it really wasn't there before. And, you know, I think the way training is now, like I did internal medicine. So I, if you were 18 or over, I just dealt with those things. But, you know, now we know that there's so many things that happen between pregnancy of mom, um, delivery, delivery trauma, kind of childhood stuff that affect the diseases that you have mm-hmm. as an adult. So to, we have to have some understanding of that. And I'm so, um, it's, I love that she's in the office and she's bringing that to the forefront because I think that medicine will be better for that for sure. Yeah. I remember the first time I was introduced to the ACE studies. And for those listeners that aren't familiar, adverse childhood experiences, there's a test of, is it 10 questions? Mm -hmm. 10 questions that go through psychological, emotional, physical abuses that you could have sustained in childhood, whether that be um, you know, an incarcerated parent or um, a 
substance dependent parent, physical abuse, um, being yelled at often, all of these different traumas are assessed. And however many you answer yes to is your ACE score. And the more the score increases, I think after four or more, um, you know, the likelihood of suicide or even heart attack and these different medical experiences can amplify, essentially. And I remember doing my ACE score and almost feeling like I was doomed. I haven't, I mean, full disclosure, I have an ACE score of seven. And looking at that, I was like, oh my God well, I'm going to die at 30. So here we go. <laughs> like, hold on. Like, here, I know. <laughs> like, damn it. You know, yeah. but what I think, you know, that, and that kind of launched me into, um, you know, looking at functional medicine, lo- looking at these different things. Cause I was like, okay, you can take this as a death sentence or you can say, what can I do from a preventative standpoint? Now that I have this information, I'm not doomed. I actually have an even better roadmap to lead me to health. Right. Um, And that is that kind of like what you might argue your practice does? I would say yes. And I was just, as you were saying that, I was thinking, I can only imagine what the ACE scores would have been if I were doing those at the VA. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I do those. That's part of my intake um, with patients. I have a pretty lengthy intake with patients. So I ask obviously about that stuff. I ask about, you know, what was mom's life like when she was pregnant with you? Um, what, you know, where did you grow up? What environmental influences you might've had when I'm thinking about toxins and detoxification and trying to figure out if that's playing a role in what's happening to them. Um, so yeah, I, I think I go back, my medical history now is very different than the standard kind of HMP that we did in traditional medicine, you know, in that you do the history, uh, present illness, like what, you know, what are they complaining about? And then the whole social history part, um, there really was not environmental or lifestyle, but the social history part was literally like three sentences out of like a two page document. Like that was, that was just all, and So I expand that. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably one of the most important things. I actually want to know that almost more than I want to know about what their complaint is. Like the complaint is really just, okay, what's your complaint? And then I, I don't expound on that. I go start digging. Right. So I'm trying to find the root. The complaint is the symptom. Yes. Yes. That's the symptom. Let's figure out what the root cause is. So I, I do it completely differently. And you know, so I expand all of that stuff and then I figure out where we need to go. And sometimes I can figure that out in my first meeting with them. Sometimes we, I have to do some functional testing with them, some hormone tests, some genetic tests, some nutritional um, amino acid testing. It's it blood, saliva, urine. Um, so I do a lot of that and then we come together and I give them a binder and it has all of their test results in it so they can understand. And we pretty much have like a biochemistry lesson. Um, (laughs) and we go through kind of everything and I say, this is why you have this symptom. This is probably why you have this one. So let's, um, you know, out of the symptoms, I, I call it my magic wand. If I had a magic wand and I could get rid of three things, what is it? And we start there and we have all the other things and we just work our way through and um, people get better. It's really fun. It's not fun to be a doctor when people don't get better. I mean, you know, I think back now and I think 
of all the antidepressants that I prescribed, all the diabetic medications I prescribed. And, you know, the people and the frustration I had when people, my diabetics would show up with a 32 ounce big gulp. And I had, you know, 7.2 minutes to address it. All I could really do was increase their insulin. That's all I had time to do. Right. And, you know, if I had more contact with them, my pay got docked. Like that was happening too around that time was wow. if you see your patients, your diabetics too often, that's then you're not managing them properly. This is your fault. <laughs> that's my fault. And it's the patient's fault. Right. And so, you know, but now I think hi, the person with the 32 ounce big gulp or the person that has a blood sugar that's high in the morning who maybe has some trauma or some serotonin deficiency and they're up in the night soothing themselves with food. Mm-hmm. Did I ever talk about with that, that with them? No. For 13 right. years, never did that come up. Now I, that comes up all the time because I, I have to figure out why things are the way they are and we do it together. Some, you know, I have people that come in and they'll say, you know, I, I was fine. And then at 12, I started having stomach pains and I've had them now for 30 years. And I say, okay, well, what happened at 12? Right. What was happening in your world at 12? Because that isn't, there's something that happened. And usually you can figure that out. Um, But you have to have time to ask them. So I spend, you know, 45 minutes to 60 minutes. Um, I would like to spend more, but I do that initially. I usually am pretty good about getting a grasp on, okay, where do we have to go from here what do we have to look into? Mm-hmm. And, and then we take it from there and we start working on our partnership of getting them better. And, you know, I would say there are people that get better within a week because we just can figure it out that easy. There are people that I have to work with for six months to 12 months when there's a lot of gut issues and trauma and nutritional deficiencies and lifestyle issues that are, that they can't really address mm-hmm. right away, like sleep, you know, I have, patients that are in a bad marriage and the husband snores, but they don't want to rock the boat. So they're just never getting any sleep. So obviously that's not a quick fix, but I know that that's why they're not sleeping. I wouldn't know that. And I wouldn't, I mean, I didn't even ask about sleep. Right. When Here's some doing, Ambien. I know, <laughs> I know. Trazodone Ambien. Here, which one do you want? Right. One of them might make you drive in the middle of the night yeah. and you won't remember it. And but, yeah, <laughs> you know, don't worry about that just a side effect. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I feel. Anytime I see, first off, I think it's crazy. I think we're one of two or three developed countries that big pharma can actually advertise direct to consumer. It's crazy, which is nuts because I think there's so many times where I'm watching it and I'm like, I have that. I have that. I have that. And I'm like, by all means, like a healthy human, right? Right. Um, and then when they're like possible side effects, and the guy starts talking like an <laughs> and auctioneer, that part and it's of it's longer. so long, and I'm like, <laughs> I'll be sad before I like drive my car <laughs> without knowing it in the middle of the night. Um, kind of launching out of that, I think that one of the, well, it's twofold, right? Everything is, but. One of the silver linings of COVID is that I think it's highlighting how sick our country was because people with underlying conditions, people who haven't, um, you know, who come in with the 32 ounce big gulp, it's like that I shouldn't, there are healthy people that are getting COVID and are getting sick and, and I'm not trying to undermine that at all. But in the majority of the people that are having a very, very difficult time, after contracting COVID, there's all of these conditions 
that in my head, I'm like, well, perhaps they're like reversible and treatable, they're reversible, yeah. they're treatable. And perhaps instead of telling people, you know, you need, and this is not my view at all. I'm not trying to skew anything, but like, you need to wear a mask, you need to get vaccinated, you need to do all these things. It's like, okay, we can do all those things and like keep the community safe. And you need to take personal responsibility then of like, okay, now I'm recognizing the severity of my diabetes. Now I'm recognizing the severity of these different things and we can start to heal them. It's pretty crazy. Um, like when you look at big picture, which I, I like to do, uh, I, you know, the fact that COVID is so um, pro-inflammatory is, is pretty... Um, I think that's important because I think that it's highlighting the pro-inflammatory kind of lifestyle that we were leaving, we were living and the people that generally have a pro-inflammatory lifestyle, whether it be, you know, overweight, fat cells notoriously make you inflamed, whether it's poor nutrition, whether it's poor sleep, stress, um, all the things that cause inflammation, uh, you throw COVID on top of that and it's just like a bomb, right? right. So uh, I think that in the beginning when all this, the data was coming out and it was clear that there was this kind of um, massive amount of inflammation that was kind of taking over bodies and they started, you know, in China, they were giving, you know, vitamin C IVs in the hospital and they were, I was like, oh, finally, right. people are paying, like, like the broader medical community is paying some attention to nutrients. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, there have been those studies that have come out that have suggested, you know, people with vitamin D deficiency are much more susceptible. So there is definitely um, kind of a focus on inflammation and a little bit of focus on nutrients that was not there before, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, you know, so the people, you know, with diabetes, which, which is really, I think there's, I can't think of a disease that does not have inflammation as the root cause. Mm. So, you know, a lot of what I do um, is try to minimize inflammation because we're trying to prevent those things and having optimal health and having the biochemistry work, having the gears work and put the right fluids in it and, and things work better. Um, when there's a lot of inflammation, things don't work so well. And so COVID is, is definitely, a, you know, put that under a microscope, which is a real blessing. Yeah, I... Uh now I'm just sitting here like thinking about like, oh man, I want to go and have all these <laughs> tests done. I want to do all of these things. Um, Cause I know my, it was a, the same kind of guess and check. I getting into CrossFit was like, well, I played sports in college and now I've graduated and now what, mm -hmm. you know, like I can't be on the elliptical at 24 hour fitness anymore and like enjoy that. Cause I'm not training for something like yeah. I could go on the elliptical for 45 minutes if I knew it was going to like help me on the basketball court or help right. me do these things. I was just like, man, what do I do? And so I started crossfitting cause I was like, oh, I can like compete against people every day. And I'm like learning more about functional ranges of motion. I was like, that feels, you know, good. And I should probably do that. And I want to be able to stand up off the toilet when I'm older <laughs> right. and all of these different things. And the first, that was also my first step into any sort of nutrition. Cause before I was like, I swam for over a decade. And I was like, you just take calories at that point. <laughs> right. I eat pasta and drink yeah. a gallon of Swimming's milk crazy. and I'm just taking in as much as I can. And come to find out like, 
I'm lactose intolerant. Like I just thought that I had like stomach aches a lot as a kid. And it's like, no, you're drinking a gallon of milk. But I didn't know that until stepping into CrossFit and we did like our first whole 30 challenge. And I was like, oh, I'm never gonna, like, I don't back down from a challenge and I'm gonna eat this way for 30 <laughs> days. And it was miserable. I detoxed for like the first 14 of it for right. sure. Right. And then, you know, on day 31, I like, was like, awesome, I'm going to have frozen yogurt, and I'm going to eat all of these things that I've craved for the last 30 days, and I just got so, so sick. And what kind of came out of it was like, I got to be my own best experiment. Like, I didn't know I was, I felt bad because of the things I was eating until I realized what it was like to feel better. And then I do not recommend to anyone just going off the handles on day 31 and eating everything <laughs> because then you I don't warn know people what all the is. time not to do that. <laughs> you don't know what it but. is that affected you, right? I was like, was it dairy? Was it gluten? Right. Was it sugar? Was right. it, and like, and all that work, I'm like, you have to be methodical about how you come back. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I was like 21 at the time. So I think yeah. I would be more methodical about it now, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was. I talk to people all the time, whether it's my clients, my friends, my parents, my parents don't like it so much when I'm like, you should try this or you should need this. They're like, stop it, Lindsay. Um, but you do get to be your own best experiment and see what works for you and what doesn't. And like you and I have been talking about, there's not a one size fits all model. Like there are certain things that when my friends are talking about the same chronic issues that I'm like, mm, okay, you drink every weekend right, and three nights a week. And you kind of eat like a dumpster fire and you're saying that your skin keeps breaking out, you know, like, right. Probably connected. Let's talk about it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so it's just crazy that we can get so stuck in, in a culture or in a system and have no idea that it's broken or could run better. Right. And I, I mean, I think your point of contrast, right? Your, I think your metaphor of going, doing Whole30 and then eating everything and then feeling like shit is, I mean, that's kind of, that's helpful, right? Contrast is helpful. Like it's helpful for doctors to get sick and realize what it's like to be a patient. Mm -hmm. It's helpful to like do those things and not feel so good. Like the contrast, it really in everything, right? In life, contrast makes us kind of learn, so, you know, sometimes it's helpful to have your heart broken so that you know what it is when you're truly in love, right? They're the contrast. We need contrast. And I think, um, you know, we can get stuck in, this is the system. This is how it's supposed to be. This is what we have to do. And, you know, I think, I think sometimes we have to think differently. How has it been having a practice in such a rural town that, you know, looks at these things that looks at big pharma and the fast food consumption. And, you know, I mean, I grew up here. I was right. like, I eat meat and potatoes. And if it's not meat or potato, it's a vegetable. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, I think it's, it's tricky. It is tricky. And I would say that the first probably year or so, um, I was thinking, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if I can do this type of medicine here. And you know, once my kids are gone, maybe we have to move to Scottsdale or move down back right. down to the Bay Area or somewhere where um, there's a because other most of the people were like, what are you doing, including other physicians, right? Mm -hmm. We're like, what is what are you doing? Um, so, you know, I think it, it was a little tricky in the beginning, but it wasn't as hard as you might imagine, because by that point, having gone through everything that I had gone through, it was really clear what I needed to do. And I 
I just kind of stayed with my own strength and grounding that I was watching people get better every day. And I knew what it was like to be in a traditional clinic where people were not getting better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just had to stay in my truth uh, and be, you know, very grounded in that. And people were getting better. And, and, you know, by now, uh, you know, last year, my patient numbers, I, it was like 197% increased. And I actually closed my practice in September because I was like, I can't take any more people. Again, being super mindful of the fact that if I'm going to be a healer, I have to walk the talk and I have to be whole myself or as whole as a person can be in order to be there for the people. And I was, it was going to be really easy for me to turn into seeing more people, adding more days. And then guess what? All of a sudden I'm crashing and then I'm not really helping people. And so it's hard that, so it's almost flipped now where it's hard because people call every day. Just yesterday, my office manager said, okay, we're getting like six to 10 calls a day. Like, what are you going to do? They're wanting to know when you're going to open again. Because my, you know, back in September, I said, okay, just tell them March 1st, which felt like it was going to be forever Forever. because we were in the middle of a pandemic and the world was nutty. Well, it's, you know, March 1st is coming. So I'm still, you know, constantly trying to balance how I can stay whole and healthy. And it's even, you know, even now in the middle of a pandemic, right? I, in the beginning of the pandemic, I was watching the news every night. Oof. I was reading journals. I was trying to figure out what the hell is happening because patients were wanting me to tell them. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea. And, I, you know, I did that for about 10 days, totally crashed. And I was like, I cannot watch the news every day. So I'm going to watch the news twice a week on these days. And if I miss something in between, that's got to be okay, because there was so much information coming out, and no one knew what was going on. And really, to be a doctor during that time is was pretty interesting, because you're used to knowing, Mm -hmm. right, you're used to knowing you're used to people looking up to you to know. And we had no idea what was happening. And so that, that was pretty interesting, but I, you know, I started kind of going back to old ways, which, you know, sometimes we do in life of journal reading news, trying to just data. And I was like, Ooh, I can't do this. This Mm -hmm. is not, I'm going to crash and then I'm going to be no good to anyone. So then I had to pull all of my tools and put them back on myself, which, you know, is good to do. And I, you know, really since then, even till just the other day, I, every time patients come, I'm just giving them another tool for stress management because the stress is palpable and it's off the charts right now. Yeah. I was doing something similar. I mean, when the pandemic first hit, my practice boomed because people were like, oh my gosh, like I can only bake bread for so long before I have to start (laughs) looking at my shit or we're like (laughs) social beings and I'm being told I can't connect with people. And so it's just been the same kind of thing. I was like reading all, you know, we read about doom scrolling and like the massive amounts of negative information that we're getting from media outlets. And so that was one of my first things with my clients. I was like, I know you're coming to me with the intention of I want to be informed And I'm here to tell you, like, it's not informing you of anything. Like, your anxiety has increased, your depression has increased, and so has your media consumption, you know? And so I got to wonder if these things are connected. And I would have patients come back after a week and be like, yeah, I stopped watching the news. And, like, I don't feel much better. I'm not healed, but I feel better. Like, I'm not having, like, anxiety attacks in the middle of the day anymore. And um, 
you know, I'm obviously a huge advocate of the gym and people couldn't go to the gym. So it was like, okay, can you go for a walk? Like here's a bunch of resources of free online classes I found that you can zoom into. And um, I think that there has been a really big uptick and increase of, of people in the the fitness world kind of coming together and being like, this is our time. Like this is, right. we need to step up in a really big way right. and deliver fitness to people that I think will change the landscape of fitness forever. I think that there will always be brick and mortar gyms because people, again, we're social beings. We crave connection. And as much as going to CrossFit was like a fitness routine for me, it was like, I also got to social. see the same people at 4.30 every day, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that they will have a time and place again. And I think it's also been an opportunity for people to be like, oh, I thought I didn't have time for this. It turns out I can hop on my Peloton or I have 30 minutes to do a yoga routine at my house. And so making fitness convenient has helped my practice so much because it was, I was able to be like, oh, um, I know that you said that you couldn't afford a gym membership or you couldn't do those things. Like here's all of these free resources. Um, so I love to give listeners kind of some tools and takeaways other than we've talked about fitness. We've talked about some stress management. Are there any tools that you suggest for people um, to help reduce stress or to help during pandemic times? Yes. Uh, So, you know, I always start with the basics, right? How much sleep are you getting? Can we just add a half hour of sleep? People are not getting enough sleep. Um, I talk to people all the time about the fact that when we are in sleep, there are phases. There are phases that we go through that restore our physical body, and there are phases that we go through that restore our mental, our brain, our mind. And so if you, you know, decide that you're going to go to bed at 10, 30, well, guess what? You already missed a half hour of physical restoration because between 10 and 2, our body's physically restoring in between two and six, our body's mentally restoring. Like that's just a normal circadian rhythm and the levels of sleep. And so sometimes if I just say, well, okay, well, if you go to bed at 1030 and guess what? You don't go to sleep till 11. You missed an hour of physical body restoration. So moving sleep up, I think is, is something that's really critical. So the sleep, water, um, hydration and nutrition, like the, if we're not doing those, then we really can't do any of the other stuff. So I think that along with stress management are the kind of the base of well-being. So sleep is important. Drinking your um, body weight in ounces. So, you know, as long as you don't have heart failure or kidney issues, like getting enough water, I try to explain to people that, you know, we're cellular beings. Mm -hmm. We have so many cells in our body. If those cells, if you think about raisins and grapes, if those cells are all shriveled up, how well is their ATP going to function? Right. Not so well. So then you're not going to have energy and your metabolism is going to suck and your mood's going to suck because your neurotransmitters are not being formed. So um, hydration and then nutrition. And I, you know, spending a year in my kitchen, uh, turns out, <laughs> was actually an amazing thing to do because I have recipes, I have ideas, um, you know, I have talk to people, okay, when you go to the store, what are you buying? And so they buy all the stuff that they know they're supposed to do, kale and quinoa, and then they don't know what to do with it. So then we talk about that. So, you know, I think those, um, I think you have to do sleep, 
nutrition and hydration and then um, stress management. So some form of self-care and stress, stress management every day, whether that's, you know, some, I have to meet people where they are. So some people can sit for 30 minutes and meditate. Some people can't. So I tell yeah, people, I'm one of those that can't. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> in the morning, light a candle, sit there and stare at the flame for two minutes and belly breathe like easy. You know, that's all you, you know, just do that. Um, I do a lot of four, seven, eight breathing at stoplights. And every time you come to a stoplight, breathe in for four, hold it for seven, out for eight. If you do that two or three times, you will activate your parasympathetic nervous system and you will feel calmer. And so, you're sitting in traffic. So that's like, right. You're going to do that <laughs> anyway. So yeah. a lot of what I try to take aways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. There's a, I, there's a lot of traffic up here these days. So much. Yeah. So, you know, I, I tried to give people things they can do it because a lot of people think they don't have time, you know, 10 squats. Every time you stand up from your desk, do 10, 10 squats. Just do that. Right. Park further away from the supermarket entrance right. and just make yourself walk. Right. Right. You know, there's a lot of um, f- your, there's a ton of free resources, you know, Headspace, Insight Timer, you know, all of those things you can, YouTube has just a ton of things. Um, you know, I think there are people that I tend to gravitate to, but I, I give people a bunch of different options because I tell people it's just like your medical care. It's your, what you're going to find to manage your stress is going to be different than the next person. So you might like Tara Brock and listen to her on YouTube, or you might hate the sound of her voice, <laughs> or you might like Gabrielle Bernstein or Marianne Williamson. Like, I think you have to, you know, Deepak, you might have to find these things that actually resonate with you. So I have handouts of just lots of options. Mm-hmm. And I say, just pick one. And if you can't pick one before the next time, I'll just keep telling you which pick one. But, it, you know, so I have to figure out where they are. And if they have two minutes, then I tell them to stare at a candle or breathe at stoplights because that's easy and totally. they can do it. I love that. If people want to find you, I know the practice isn't open, hopefully March 1st. <laughs> <laughs> but if people want to find online resources or anything that you're putting out, where can people get a hold of you? So soulstrengthmedicine.com. Um, we didn't really talk about why I developed that, but I, I do think that we have to be strong in our soul if we're going to be completely well. So soulstrengthmedicine.com, um, there's contact us information on there. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook under, uh, Brokini MD or soul strength medicine. Awesome. We'll link all of that in the show notes. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.